I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, welcome back to the latest segment of the Fourth Trimester Podcast. Today is a wonderful day where we get the honor of talking to the authors of a fabulous book that came out recently called The First 40 Days, The Essential Art of Nourishing the New Mother. And we found this book being circulated on the web, and I reached out to the writers, um, of which there are three, and they agreed to share with us um, their experiences and talk about the book with us. Um, So here today, we have two out of the three. So we have Amelie Grieven and Han Oh. And the third author who is going to be um, represented by her other two counterparts is Marissa Belger. We're so honored to have you here. Welcome and congratulations on your book. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Mm -hmm. Esther and I have been so excited to read through your book. It's part personal experience, um, part spiritual and emotional guide, Mm -hmm. um, part cookbook, Mm -hmm. and we just love everything about it. So um, thank you for your contribution with the book. What inspired you to to write the first 40 days and what is it all about? Okay, so I, you know, I have my three um, children who are now 13, 11, and 8. And I gave birth, you know, way back then. And my during my first birth, my aunt came down from Oakland, down to Los Angeles, and said, you know what, I'm going to come in with my bags of food, come and make all this food for you. You're going to, all you have to do is stay in bed. And that was my first birth. And I thought, I thought, you know what? Fantastic. Like, why not? You know, I understand that this is a um, cultural um, practice in our, in our Chinese communities. And I know that in um, Taiwan and China, this is practiced throughout all the families. And no matter how poor, how rich they are, this, there's some practice there. So I thought, you know what? Let's do it because my aunt basically forced herself into my home and said, let's do this because you have nice no other way. choice in a very nice, but you know, Chinese demeanor kind of way. And, um, but she just started cooking and with all the smells that came from the kitchen, everything that she did, it just nourished me immediately and said, you know what? I'm going to just lay here with my little newborn. I'm going to just do my best to breastfeed because that was its own entity. And, and, um, and from that one little moment, I thought, you know what? Wow, like this is pretty darn special. And how many other American women's actually experienced this? And it really kind of just went on in my head of like, this is, I really want to spread the word in this, in this way. So it kind of just blossomed from that one little seed. It sounds like you are aware of the differences between your experience and the experience of others around you. Absolutely. You know, and, um, you know, in my two other births after that, I didn't quite have that. So I actually did experience that on my own. Um, the other two kind of my aunt didn't show up in that same way. Um, and, and also I know that with my other, you know, just friends around me that had babies, you know, they just, I kind of, they disappeared, you know, for the first few months. They just 
don't you then you kind of like sort of tiptoe around them not knowing what to do because you don't know if they want to you just don't know what to do just like it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. to step into someone's home i mean i'm comfortable with that and i'm okay about you know just leaving my door open or people coming in and out but after birth it's different it's a different language that we're trying to establish yeah and we actually wrote the book for the mother to be to pick up during her third trimester pregnancy to help her anticipate and start thinking about postpartum. But we also very much wrote it for the people who might be around her and might love her and might want to help. Exactly. So they had a little field guide. You know, what would she possibly be experiencing? What would be supportive? What wouldn't be supportive? And how, if I do really want to show up for them, how could I do that best? Um, because we talked a lot as we wrote about it, about how challenging it is to negotiate all those conversations of who I want in my home, what kind of support I want. It's so hard to do that after the baby's here. So we wanted women to, to gently start the conversation while they still had some time, space and energy to do it in the way that supported them. So the book is to pass on. And we even said at one point, if, if you feel uncomfortable asking for help the right way, just show them this book and hopefully they'll, they'll absorb it and, and see, you know, what it is that would help you, not what they want, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm holding a copy of the book in my hands and I've got a bunch of my little tabs where I marked up all of my favorite places. It's just so well-worn now at this point. Um, and I think that uh, one section in particular that I really loved, which might speak to what you're describing as being a guide is this list of the seven factors that influence the postpartum period. So it's like questions to ask yourself before baby arrives. Exactly. Yeah, we were very much into helping not just set the space that you're going to be in, you know, your home and set your pantry with all the ingredients, but also set your mind to what's going to come. Because I think probably for a lot of women going through their pregnancy care in a more conventional fashion where appointments are quick and your doctor probably doesn't give you much time, these conversations may well not come up. And um, so we wanted to offer a space to contemplate for a moment. What's it going to be like? What might it feel like when all this change starts to occur? And if you want, we could just briefly talk about the seven sort of questions, if it's helpful. Yeah. And you know what? My take on that was really, it's really about um, having an inner voice with the mother first. You know, you have your voice to yourself first and you ask yourself, what is it that I really want for myself? And then, you know, that's a continual question that you ask yourself throughout your livelihood of being a mother. But um, I really wanted to stir something up inside the core. And then you start to, um, then you reach out to the people that are close to you that you trust. And and you start reaching out and asking them to um, advise or to help or to support you. So the key is, you know, as we're going through this, step by step is that, you know, what truly do you really feel inside? And um, how do we really support you on that? It's interesting, Han, isn't it? Because sometimes what comes up might go against the grain. I know when I had my daughter, Mm -hmm. and I was, you know, older by conventional standards. So I was actually 40 when I had my daughter. And I just knew I didn't want my Mm -hmm. in-laws to be there. And my own mother couldn't travel. I didn't want the hustle, the energy. They're wonderfully helpful, but I just knew there'd be this sort of hustle. And I wanted to sink into this experience of bonding with my baby. And I was like, you know what? 
I think it's okay to say, you know, come visit when she's three months old from the other side of the country. Mm-hmm. They have to travel. Yeah. And I know that's harder for younger mothers, especially after mm-hmm. near that. Like, oh, Absolutely. how could I say I don't want them there on the first day or the second day and yeah. seven people in my house. So it's such right. a powerful thing to maybe have some other women tell you through the book, it's okay to have those thoughts. Now let's help you articulate them, you know. Absolutely. And you know what, that's so great about your practice too, Emily, as you, knowing you, um, is that, you know, you're able to create that space for yourself no matter where you are in your life and no matter where you are in the world. So, um, So that's why it's important to take this time to say, wow, I really have this opportunity now after birth to, you know, it could be 20 days, it could be 10 days, it could be, you know, two days. You know, it, you just, it doesn't matter how many days um, that you can actually accomplish this time, but it's really about carving that time out for yourself. I want to put in a plug for postpartum care right here, because mm. I think often family members are, of course, you know, they're driven, <laughs> sometimes a little mad, by the desire to see the new baby and Mm -hmm. get their hands on that new baby and um, say hi to you. (laughs) But underneath that desire to say hi to you is often um, a real concern for their own child, right? That you're their baby and now you're going through a really enigmatic process, Mm -hmm. pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. It's enigmatic because they don't even want to try to remember theirs. It was probably very Mm -hmm. fraught in some way or many ways, but they're really concerned that you be well cared for, even if they don't know how. Mm. And so what I find often is the case when I'm interviewing potential clients is that, um, you know, the, the parents to be are kind of not even considering that there's a process to be, you know, that they're going to be going through because they're so immersed in the pregnancy and focused on the birth, um, which is why it's brilliant that your book invites them to think of the end of pregnancy as, as a time to becoming, you know, be considering the fourth trimester. Um, But I have found often in my 37 years of practice that often that sort of the the strain that comes up between a grandparent and new parent or parent and child, as it were, is I'm worried for you and you're telling me you don't want me to be there and I'm not going to stop worrying about you. So I'm going to I'm going to push this and you're going to feel pushed and it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then when they can say to their parents, well, we've enlisted, you know, this person or these people to support us in just these particular ways that we believe are going to be particularly nourishing and supportive, they can calm way down, you know, and they'll be happy to Skype to see the baby and then come out and visit at three months. Um, so really that little intervention... Yeah, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. little intervention can be mm-hmm. taken down from a really fraught emotional place between parent and child uh, who's becoming a parent. Uh, if if you've had this process, if you've been able to say then having undertaken to read your book or, you know, interviewed with a few postpartum doulas about what will you do? How will you help me? 
um, and then relay to the grandparents to be, you know, we have people who are going to really, really take really good care of us. Mm-hmm. You know, often mm-hmm. these days when people are giving birth at 40, their mm-hmm. parents aren't able-bodied enough to take care sure. of them. That doesn't mean they're not anxious about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't right. mean they don't want to. Ask them to give you a nice gift of a yeah. postpartum doula, you right. know. Totally. Um, there are things that they can do to feel like they're really mm-hmm. participating in your care so that you can take good care of their grandchild. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we're an action-based society, so we want to, you know, step forward and put ourselves, you know, we want to do something. Mm-hmm. And I love, there's so many different ideas, which we're now expanding to, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. And my whole goal is to really take postpartum as a real serious time in our lives, as mm-hmm. serious as birth, as serious as post as pregnancy. Yeah. You know, that's that's our goal here. I think that's everybody's goal here. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. on this on this conversation, mm-hmm. yeah. We recently interviewed a woman, um, Lisa Chin, who also experienced the forty days, mm-hmm. um, and she put together a whole online summit to address postpartum mm-hmm. care with all kinds of people mm-hmm. that are involved in mm-hmm. in Great. this phase. Uh, so your book is the perfect sort of, I think, capper. Uh, to to what I hope is a real movement. Mm-hmm. I'm actually on that. Pot. I'm actually on that yeah. summit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Me too. And it sounds like you've also built your career around taking real action. So, mm-hmm. for example, I understand mm-hmm. that you have a business called Mother Bees, which is about delivering food. Yes. Yeah, so that's how I started. You know, I um, after my um, third baby's birth, I really again wanted to. <laughs> be in my action mode. And as great as, you know, any postpartum or birth, you know, we know that birth kind of awakens a woman's body in some amazing way. And it's kind of like you take that moment to take a little bit of rest. And then you say, wow, these little percolating ideas are going to sort of come out somehow. And if you honor that and really cherish that, something grand can really come. And fortunately, it came in my life after my birth, the third one. So I thought, you know what? Like what my aunt served me, my first birth was fantastic. But like, how do we now incorporate that into our our, our community? So after my birth, um, I just start making food to my for my friends and you know just some people here and there. Um, and then that's where like blossomed to um, a small local delivery to new mothers. Um, and then I did that for a good five years. Um, and I did everything. Like it was it was it was a lot of work, you know. And it's it's. I put a lot of thought, a lot of love into it. And what's so wonderful was that um, my clients felt that and I've never, ever met them, you know. So the trans- transition of, you know, what you put in and your intention and what you put in into your food or anything. And the book was also something that I really wanted mothers all around the world to feel. What we put in in the words and how we cultivate it is something that when they open it, I want them to feel what we feel. And they're held and they're loved and they're seen throughout the day and throughout the night. So Mother Bees started in 2010. The food deliveries um, went on for five years. And then after five years, um, this wonderful book came along. Um, and then I started to um, um, ease down on the, uh, the service. And now I am um, on the way of just making other products, food products for Mother Bees. 
And that's going to be coming out in spring of 2017. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And what's the the range for this business? Like, is it Oakland or is it? Well, it won't be. Well, at the moment, it won't be fresh food, you know, delivery because Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's just not something that I'm investing my time and energy into. Mm -hmm. Um, But with the products, then they will, it's, you know, they're retail food products. So Mm -hmm. they could have, because my whole goal is to have a wider reach. And then that we can, um, you know, anybody can buy it and Mm -hmm. enjoy it and really take the benefits. And it's all again about, you know, how do we nourish the mother, not just the new mother, but the mother now, because, Mm -hmm. We all have to think as a whole, like we all are here to do this together. And it's a fantastic community that we're part of. Yeah, I would I would throw in, I, I think this comes across in the book, but Han is kind of a, a kitchen alchemist. Like if you go over to your kitchen, it's really cool. There's also a pot of something on the stove and she makes it so effortless. She just chops up the cubes of squash and she throws it in the broth and a handful of this and a pinch of that really simple, really healthy great ingredients served with this love. And and I can tell you that when she first came over to my house and said, hey, Emily, I want to do a book. And I was kind of, I just had my daughter and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? No one buys books for, unless you're a celebrity these days. It's so hard because I write books. Oh, God, it's so hard. Okay, I just humored her. I said, you can come up if you want. And she came up with this basket with her teas and some cashew milk and some, and one of the amazing smoothies from the book that has maca and some spirulina. And I just, my heart just started to rise up from, from this fatigued place. Oh, my gosh, I feel so cared for. And then she, while I nursed my baby, she got to work and just cleaned my kitchen without saying anything. And so there's something about this kitchen presence that is just sweet and kind and gentle and giving. And she taught taught me a lot about how giving food one person to another, this is just a small gesture, but that transfers so much energy across. Um, and I hope whoever reads the book, whether it's a mom or someone who loves her, really starts to play with that. Maybe after you've had your kid, you find that your neighbor is pregnant and you make a chicken soup for them and you take it over. It's just such a wonderful thing to see their eyes light up and their hearts swell and they say, oh, thank you. And that's that's what went into the cooking. So none of this is gourmet, complicated, difficult. Oh, I need to learn things. It's like, you can do this. We've done this for millennia. Let's just give you a few easy ways to do it in your kitchen. And um that's that's part of what it's about. And I know the products that she's developing are going to be really cool. I sort of know what they are, but they're still a bit secret. Um, so really it's about, it's, could we put oxytocin in a bottle and give it to you? Yeah. Yes, we can. We can. Yeah, that's the whole. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, it's interesting for me to, to, to actually know that. I don't know. And, you know, maybe, Esther, you might have a, um, a better idea on this. It's like, you know, a lot of mothers and women might even say no at first when you make an offer make an offering. And, um, and that's, I'm, I'm very curious about that, you know? Well, you know, in those, in that first week after having mm-hmm. given birth, you may remember like as your uterus is involuting and mm-hmm. your guts that used to be up in your diaphragm mm-hmm. are kind of settling back in and you're, your all of your endorphins and oxytocin and hormones from laboring and birth are so focused on newborn and um, getting to and from the bathroom. 
the appetite hasn't engaged yet often, right? Like often mm-hmm. women will say, well, I'm just not hungry, right? And of course, in the hospital setting, if that's where they've given birth, they've not necessarily been nourished. They've been taken care of clinically, right? right. And their sleep has been disrupted if they were going to get any. And so they come home on day three, the milk's coming in, they're the brain isn't hooked up to the stomach yet. And so when I describe the postpartum care that I give, and I'm going to be very specific to me because Mm -hmm. one of my frustrations with postpartum care is that so many doulas I know involve themselves not at all with the kitchen. Because what I love about hearing your story is the smells. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the smells activate the appetite, right? Mm -hmm. They do. Mm -hmm. And so if people are just dropping off groceries or a lasagna, Mm -hmm. (laughs) God knows, like if I ever see another lasagna, (laughs) not that I, not that I don't love a lasagna once every six years, but like you don't need five pounds of lasagna. Um, (laughs) um, you know, they're just, it's just a different thing to have a Mm -hmm. soup or a stew or a, you know, whatever cookies baking in the oven and wafting through the house. And, you know, Ben would bake bread. I mean, if that doesn't get your (laughs) digestive juices going, right? So, um, so I think, and then, and then what I do with clients, as Sarah Mm -hmm. can remember is I'll say, um, you know, I'll tell partners, for instance, like, don't ask her if she's hungry mm-hmm. or what she wants. Mm-hmm. If she has to think about it, she'll say she's not hungry. And that's what happens. She that is what it, happens. Right? I see. So what your job mm-hmm. is when I'm not here for the 21 hours before you see me again is just put this beside her where she can reach it. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> I love that. It disappears. It disappears. Sarah Mm -hmm. remembers like, whoomph, it was gone, you know, where's more? So, um, so I do think that nourishment is key to recovery, no matter what you're recovering from. Mm -hmm. And birth is something that we do recover from. Mm -hmm. Maybe we just had a stitch in our vagina, you know, maybe our nipples are torn up from breastfeeding a tongue tied mm-hmm. baby. Who knows mm-hmm. what we're recovering from, but we're always recovering from something. And That's if true. we just look at it in terms of the uterus and its recovery, mm-hmm. you know, getting the right amount of protein and minerals mm-hmm. and all of those things to help the body do the job mm-hmm. that takes two weeks to do yeah. to get that uterus back to where it's supposed to be. So we yeah. don't bleed out. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So bad things don't happen. Mm-hmm. It's why in Asian countries mm-hmm. we developed this very strict, perhaps one would say mm-hmm. protocol of, <laughs> I say we, <laughs> um, uh, protocol mm-hmm. of keeping moms in bed, mm-hmm. keeping them warm keeping mm-hmm. their babies at their sides, breastfeeding and feeding them yeah. appropriately yeah. Mm-hmm. day and night. So I'm just passionate about this. Like mm-hmm. this is my whole gig <laughs> in life I love for that. many, many years. And um, now uh, I just was sitting here thinking I'm super inspired to become 
a postpartum trainer, it's not that the postpartum trainings that are out there aren't lovely, but I think Han, you and I are going to use your book as a Mm -hmm. text and teach doulas to cook because yes. I can't tell you how often I meet a new doula and I ask her, so what do you make for your clients? Right. Like make? <laughs> right. Food. food. Do yeah. you prepare food for your clients? It can be oh, so easy, isn't it? It could be three ingredients, nothing nothing too crazy. Yeah. You know, it could be just some sort of small, as you said. Mm-hmm. And as we are all animals... It yeah. will get eaten <laughs> if you're right. hungry. Yes. If it's left by your bed, it's an animal instinct. You will, you will, you know, eat it, drink it somehow. <laughs> yes. And nobody eats their placenta anymore unless it's in pill form. So hey. I know, did. Unfortunately, you don't, you don't have that immediate, like, mm-hmm. um, big, nourishing, mm-hmm. karma-free yeah. <laughs> Meat. Right. That gets you started. Right. Hormone rich, you right. know, gets you started. Yeah. Um, so yeah. unlike other great apes, you don't have yeah. that. Yeah. You'll notice in the book, we took the controversial route of including mm. placenta smoothies, which I'm sure a lot of people mm. are going to go, oh my God. And, um, I, but yeah, it's not that came out of my, at all. Yeah. Me. That came out of but, my yeah. experience. And my, my, it was mm-hmm. so funny because my husband, who he just loves all things herbal and medicinal and sort of experiments like crazy. And, and he said, you're going to do placenta encapsulation. Why wouldn't you just have it raw? Wouldn't it be more powerful? I bet, I bet Han did that. And I don't know. I don't right know if she did, on. but he used to, <laughs> I bet she did it. And so the challenge, he like laid the gauntlet. I was like, Oh, if she can do it. I, I guess I'll do it. But honestly I had, <laughs> That my wonderful. I didn't. One of the I two. didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, neither did I, and I, I feel that I it really uh, was a deficit. Created a deficit. I want to have another child just to do it. Really, just to. <laughs> and I do feel it contributed. You yeah. felt yeah, because you felt the difference. if you've seen mm-hmm. our totally. Facebook page, Sarah has been posting. Uh, from a page that we've linked to called American Afterbirth. And what's hilarious about it and your story, Emily, is that it's a dad mm-hmm. who's making a, the movie about Hussein <laughs> It's a guy who are just hilarious. And I love it. I mean, I love that it's a dad. Of course, he's going to be marginalized as out of his brains, but he's right. Like, it's primal. He is, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The funniest thing is he's bragging about him eating his wife's placenta, which I was like, wait a minute, that's for her. What do you mean you're eating her placenta? And it's only so much it goes around. I mean, and that's it. Yeah, I think he's taking the Stein approach. He's a food food writer, isn't he? And so he sort of sees it as extreme eating. Oh, <laughs> but that's so neat to to spread the awareness and with we had a, actually an entire episode listeners if you're interested we have an entire episode you can look in our back catalog on our feed we have like the history around that and how you know we talk about how kim kardashian mm-hmm. ate her own placenta mm-hmm. um really really fascinating so but like to be less scary what is the what is the top one or two recipes um in the book that you like and just tell us a bit about those mm-hmm. Well, I bet Han, I bet you would know. say that the chicken date ginger soup, huh? Mm, yes, yeah. I know. And you know what? I must say, I mean, on a personal front, I love pig trotters. <laughs> and um, you see, yeah, it seems like I'm getting a lot of nods in the room, too. Um, 
And, you know, and again, I would actually give birth again for the pig trotters and listen. <laughs> selfish reasons. We're going to call this the, the, the gourmet issue. <laughs> I raised pigs as a yeah. girl and oh, I love okay. every bit of a pig. Oh. People used to say, how can you... And maybe your pets, and then you eat really? them. And I'm saying, you just try it yourself. You'll oh, see. Oh my goodness, they're I'm delicious. So yes, I'm not audience. <laughs> you know what? Like I grew up with my, you know, two aunts and my uncle who are acupuncturists here in Oakland, and I would walk into their offices um, whenever I would come to visit them, and you know, their office still looks the same after 30 years. But I would hear all these stories and see all these photos of um, all these mothers and babies that they've helped. Um, bring into this world because of fertility or, or infertility issues. And um, I've always listened to their stories of how do we serve the, the spleen? How do we help the kidneys? Oh, kidneys. Okay. If you want to help the kidneys, you give them um, pork kidneys. And it's just like one from one, like one organ you serve by giving them organ meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it was part of our conversation. It was never like, oh, that's kind of gross. It's kind of like, well, Whatever we eat, there's always a purpose of why we eat it. We're not eating just because we're eating it. Um, and so everything that was on the table was kind of medicinally made for us. So if you see it in that way, you know, they have always said pig trotters will help with um, lactation. And if it's pickled and if it has the ginger and has the brown, um, the rock sugar in it um, it's and the vinegar, that helps um, it just for you to just... L- lactate mm-hmm. and you know there's the um fish soup too that helps with the papaya that helps and seaweed soup and it's all about like as in theory there's a reason right mm-hmm. and you know and my my whole take when i made the recipes was that we have that side and i know that it's not for everyone but then how do you really think about what you're ingesting for one and then other part is what's comforting for you so you know i love making just a simple um kabocha red lentil with coconut soup because that serves my heart and that serves like that just makes me feel really good all so, that vitamin a all it's vitamin, so good for you <laughs> it's all very good for you it's all very good it is and it's kind of like well what's going to make me feel good i want that yeah sometimes the chips and that will make me feel good and i might take that but that's a small percentage of my you know, my diet. And it's Mm -hmm. fine because, again, it makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our whole goal here is how do we make, how do we um, strive to just pull this out and and hopefully shine light on this beautiful woman who've just gone through this process and say, you know what, you are here, you're going through this experience, and how do we just make you this most beautiful seen person? And not worry about your body weight, not worry about anything else besides how do we serve your heart right now? Mm-hmm. And let's kind of do it through <laughs> your belly first, because that's easy and it's fun. That is the way to the heart, right? Yeah. Not just in mm-hmm. men. Not just in men, no. Yeah. I was going to say, Han, that's just why we included some delicious treats in there too. We really thought about it, yeah. you know, because we're all quite healthy and yada, yada. But we're mm-hmm. like, we have to have these delicious, sumptuous sensory treats too, to you know, in every tradition, mm-hmm. particularly in Ayurveda, there's like a bit of sweet will kind of balance you out, not just raise your spirits, mm-hmm. but calm the vata or the excess wind. So we, we also put delicious, like a little spiced egg custard, soft, unctuous, mm-hmm. creamy, sensory mm-hmm. things that remind you there's delight when you're you're just exhausted. And my favorite, I think my favorite recipe came from a wonderful midwife in Phoenix called Shell Luttrell 
who's so cool. And she told me the minute, just like a messenger said, when the baby's born, I go into the pantry, I whip out these, a bit of cornmeal, a bit of cacao, some maple syrup, some cinnamon, some chili powder. And she makes this really rich, warm, hot chocolate that's um, inspired by the Hopi Indian tradition of putting a cornmeal in. And she just presents this beautiful, delectable, rich, warm, warm drink. And I said, what a loving gesture. So that's my favorite recipe. So good. Yeah. It's so good. You know what? So and nourishing. You know what? And so nourishing. And you know what? In terms of cooking something, my one of my favorite, my aunt loves to come in and just put a pot of um, black vinegar on the stove. For one, she feels like it, um, her theory is that it kills the germs in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And but the smell, there's something again. Gets the saliva going. It gets you going, mm-hmm. right? It just mm-hmm. percolates, mm-hmm. and the senses again. And as the, that's what we're saying. Like, as simple as that. Something as just and not like you're drinking it, but there's something that's kind of prickling in the air. When your nose that, picks mm-hmm. it up. It goes to the back of your brain mm-hmm. and lights up your animal. That that gets going. Get too hungry. Have this wonderful yeah. soup on the side. That's gonna just kind of mm-hmm. get you. Tell us about black vinegar. Mm-hmm. Black vinegar. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just, it's like, an, it's like, you know, you know, in, in, um, in the Chinese kitchen, you know, we have very simple ingredients. Black vinegar is definitely one of them. Sugar is another oil, salt, um, very, very simple. So, you know, they finally really, flavors, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. umami flavors, mm-hmm. and they rely on the, um, ingredient because all the ingredients are fresh. It's always, you know, they, they, you know, go often go to the store daily and they rely on the flavors and the power of the you know of the freshness so um the vinegar is always some kind of there's always a base to it you know because of the five flavors you know it's either you know um the percentage of more of this or more of that but if you go to my aunt's kitchen it's kind of just those five flavors Mm -hmm. it's really it's an empty kitchen Mm -hmm. you know but what she what she pulls out from that is incredible. And she's one of my favorite cooks. And, um, and so she'd always say it's always black vinegar and then it's wine as well, because that helps, you know, pull out the vinegar or just, it just, it helps with like the, the alchemy of the food, mm-hmm. right. And how that will um, kind of protect you. And it's all about preserving the body. How do we preserve the body? So, and maybe it's about being vain but, you know, like there's like we want to look young. We want to feel young as long as we can and we want to be healthy as long as we can. And that's why we want to just take that moment to just preserve it. And if it's black vinegar, then it's black vinegar. You know, like that's what we're going to do because mm-hmm. Auntie says that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right on, Auntie. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say let's say we have some new parents. They're preparing to have a baby. Um, what? What do you have? And I, again, I want to reference this um, preparation list that you have here. Like, what are the essential questions that they need to be asking themselves or thinking about? Mm-hmm. I think probably one of them is going to be, um, sorry, one of them is going to be how is your space set up for you, for mom? We we talk about mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of attention on the nursery being beautiful, looking just like a Pinterest board and accessorized. Mm-hmm. But actually, the baby's not going to hang out in the nursery for those first few days. It's going to be on your body. So is your bed comfortable? Is there a cozy chair you could sink into? You're not going to want to move around. Do you have just the furnishing set up so you can be in your cocoon? So we talk a lot about setting up your little cocoon. 
Um, and then the second big question, how am I going to eat? Who's going to feed me? We help the reader gather supplies during the third trimester, which we call the gathering, and stock her pantry and put some basics in the freezer with some of our recipes for broth and so forth. So how am I going to be fed, which we've already talked about? Uh, we talk about, again, that question of who do I want around me, as we already talked about, who will mm-hmm. who will be supportive. So we talk about assembling your helping hands and really thinking about that. And then a really key one is what's the effect going to be on my relationship with my partner? Just trying to think it through, you know, how do we do when we're under stress and we're sleep deprived and we're hungry? What what are our patterns? How could we talk about it in advance of I might get a bit snappy and I don't want you to take it personally and we help the woman see there are just little things you can do to acknowledge your partner because remember, you as tired as you're going to be, they're not going to get the oxytocin rush in the middle of the night from nursing that helps them fall back to sleep. They might even be more tired than you. They might be wondering what's my role here, you know. So really talking through some expectations in your relationship beforehand. We call it fortifying your relationship. Um, and lastly, we talked about what can you set up to honor yourself for this rite of passage you're going through. And you might want to think about either something lovely and group oriented, like a blessing way, which we talk about in the book, a gathering to honor your transition to motherhood, or it might be little simple things like having a friend come and just hug you and give you a foot massage. But we lay out a sort of five general areas to think about during your third trimester. It seems like a practical and helpful exercise for a new parent to go through like a woman who's in her third trimester or a couple who's about to adopt a baby just to look through this list and maybe journal what all of that looks like for themselves or the people they're caring for um, to a degree. But really just for the for the person who's about to become a parent, like really think through those things and be aware so I, I mean, I get the feeling that had I not been asked some of these questions by Esther when she was helping prepare me, um, I probably would have just defaulted. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like I would have been things that I was aware of, but I wasn't necessarily just sitting down and, and truly thinking about the answers to. Well, what, what would be your default? Because you're a career, you know, driven woman and mother, new mother, you know, what, 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 I don't know, what were those default actions like or thoughts that came to your um, I think the default for me would just be to look back to like, I think my own experiences when I, you know, whatever I can remember about my mom telling me about the way she raised me or my brothers, mm-hmm. um, just kind of looking back to my own experience and accepting whatever that was as the way, mm-hmm. which I, which mm-hmm. I think is true for both practical things and emotional things mm-hmm. like to look back and say, okay, well, my mom didn't have necessarily a lot of care. Like I'm aware that my my dad's mom was there helping her out a little bit, but I got the impression that she did kind of a lot of things on her own and mm-hmm. didn't necessarily prioritize her own care. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the phrase that yeah. goes along with most Western women's postpartum experiences, you just get through it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So I think I would have, I think I just had these assumptions that I wasn't thinking about anything negatively. It was just like, okay, well, yeah, I know it's going to be hard. Like I'm aware that it's going to be a challenge and let's just do it. And, and what's awesome about what I've learned from Esther and the two of you and many, many other women now that I've had the opportunity to speak with is that there's, there's a way to curate your postpartum experience. There is a way to think about it and change it and make it exactly what you want. Love it. 
And that's given that, as I said before, it is enigmatic, much like pregnancy, much like birth. You can't plan it. You know, you don't know what you're going to be experiencing one hour to the next in terms of what your baby's needs might feel like, what your needs and emotional state might be like. Um, But you can know some things about it that are true (laughs) for all of us, which Mm -hmm. is that you will be healing, you will be recovering, Mm -hmm. you will one way or the other be establishing a relationship around feeding your baby. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll need to sleep, you'll need to eat, you'll need to use the bathroom. Um, Natural instincts, right? Yeah. And it, I love the notion of using um, or taking the opportunity to train other people on how mm-hmm. to take care of new parents. Right. So I would love to just talk about that. Like what what are the top recommendations you have for people who are about to take care of someone else? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the other party, right? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. For the so, grandparent or friend or whoever yeah, it is. That's wonderful. And that's why the conversation needs to start earlier. And not during birth, not during labor, not when you're like... Not two weeks postpartum. Not postpartum, <laughs> yes, two weeks when you don't know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> and um, so that's where the key for us is to have it, you know, in the second, the third trimester, you know, just when the, the nesting and the physicalness is just wanting to build that home, that bedroom is happening. So, um, you know, pick, I would, I'm, I would say, you know, pick... Pick one or two, you know, really important, um, maybe female friends and you, and your partner. And, um, well, first, you know, with your partner first, because you have to always work with your core first, right? Yourself. So it's, you know, first, you know, I think it's important to have that one conversation or several conversations with yourself first. What do you, what are your needs? Like, how do you want to fulfill them? And then you reach out to your partner and having that conversation and, you know, kind of talk about the practical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. And then you reach out to um, your your family and or your friends if they're not around. And then you then you sort of ask them like what's sort of like, you know, again, like what your needs are because if you have the help at home, maybe you don't need the cleaning. Maybe you don't need the um, the person to help you cook. Maybe you just need a friend to come by to say hello. But, you know, there's a time limit too of saying, you know what, I kind of love to have company, but I think I can only take 20 minutes and maybe 30 minutes stretch time. But you know what? Maybe I'm in bed. Maybe you're holding my baby and maybe I'm just brushing my teeth because I haven't done that in three days. Mm-hmm. So um, let's kind of talk practical because like you're not in your best day. You're not looking pretty maybe and your boobs are leaking and everything's just kind of messy and ugly and and, and that, that's all very okay. And that's what we're saying. It's all okay. So that's why we are choosing people who are coming into our little circle and saying, you know, what? I'm very vulnerable here. And I want to feel that I'm being loved and supported. And these are my needs. And I hope that you can meet them. Yeah, I would, I would add to that, um, that, and I reinforce this constantly. Sarah's probably gotten bored with me now. Um, that if, if sleep is part of recovery, is a critical part of recovery the way food is, mm-hmm. 
that, um, and, and I think often during pregnancy, even though that the last month of pregnancy, often women are starting to contend with like, I just have to take naps. You know, I can't get through a 24 hour period on what I get at night. Cause I'm not getting it at night anymore. Um, that recognizing that the first six to 12 weeks of postpartum recovery also are going to be like that. You're up at night breastfeeding, so you're not sleeping eight to 12 hours at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so sleeping when your babies is critical and sufficient. But if you don't sleep when your baby sleeps, you're not going to get enough sleep. So I think preparing friends and family and other care providers that I will be sleeping when my baby sleeps. So if you're going to prepare me a sits bath, you know, don't just make it and then tell me to get in it. Check in with me mm-hmm. <laughs> so that we know that the baby's breastfeeding now and Maybe I'll be breastfeeding in the tub to have my sits bath because once I get out, I'm going to jump in bed with the baby and sleep. That's a more technical example in a way, but feed your, feed your new mom while she's feeding her baby. Mm -hmm. If that means spooning Mm -hmm. the food into her Mm -hmm. while you chat and she breastfeeds, great, because then she's nourished. The baby's nourished and they can both sleep together and have a full sleep because she's not going to wake up hungry. Right. I love that. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, these are like strictly very practical tips, but it's not what people, it's not how we think, right? Mm -hmm. We think, Mm -hmm. well, as soon as the baby's asleep, I can do Mm -hmm. what I have to do. Right. And I remember when I did not do that, you know, the breast infections came mm-hmm. and then I was dehydrated because I didn't want to drink eight glasses of water and go to the bathroom 16 times a day, mm-hmm. you know, but then if I didn't do that, um, it really showed up in my breast, in my breast milk for one and the infections came on immediately. Mm-hmm. So when I started to nap as it, when the baby napped, I just, it just, everything flowed a lot better and my mind just settled. Mm-hmm. that just it, it's a it's a cycle isn't it yes if you don't catch it early it's just gonna catch you sometime right down your life. and mm-hmm. you said your mind settled which touches on a critical health issue in america which is that we're now seeing um that 20 uh, percent minimum of women experience mood disorder during preg- mm. d- during the postpartum period. Mm. Well, why do we think that is? We have a we have a structure that traumatizes them during birth, then takes care of them in the clinical sense for two days, but doesn't allow them to sleep. Then sends them home on day three when their milk is coming in with no support. Mm. Then and doesn't nourish them. So. We could, as far as I'm concerned, we could bring that number way down mm-hmm. if we were preparing women and their families mm-hmm. to sleep when the baby sleeps and eat when the baby eats. Yeah. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And very, very simple, right? That's mm-hmm. what we're saying. Very simple because we're here to mother the mother. Yeah. If we think of that as a concept, then 
it's just and she's not she's not a baby we know that but you know what we all have those basic needs and we all still have those very simple needs well when people have to be hospitalized because they were in an accident somebody Mm -hmm. feeds them and bathes Mm -hmm. them and you know does everything for Mm -hmm. them because Mm -hmm. they're in recovery yeah and this is where we fail to acknowledge it for women. So right. so often in life for women, right? We're never in recovery. Exactly. We're super women. <laughs> We're we always taking it. care of everybody else. It. Mm-hmm. But it, there is a way to be both recovering and caring for yeah. your baby at the same time. Right. It's not an either or preposition proposition. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. And your book is just so lovely in acknowledging that. So please. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, you know, and my belief is like, you know, when we do that and, you know, and I know a lot of people say, wow, six weeks is so long and 40 days and wow, I don't think I can stay in. I need to go and show off, like do the outside <laughs> stuff. But then like, um, but if you, you know, but, you know, I know that when a, when a woman is, you know, when we have our little power juices going, like we could then come out of that recovery period, quote unquote, because we're not sick. That's for one. We're not. We're just, our bodies just are just going back into, like internally going back into place, the organs are. Um, but if we do that, we come out and we can like feed thousands of people or we could do so much. We're making milk. I mean, that's pretty incredible already, mm-hmm. but we can come out and like work and do this and do that. But like, we're pretty, it's pretty powerful, you know, like, yeah. And you're making milk. I mean, it's, it's outstanding. I mean, so again, we know that it's there and we want to tap into it and say, wow, it's in us. It's in all of us. We all know this. Basically, I believe that every woman out there know like the basic instinct of what we talked about in the first 40 days. And we're just here to really say it's in you. Let's really pull it out and be the best of who you actually are, you know, and let's take this moment because you're, you know, A, B, and C, and you just gave birth to this life that you just made. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, let's take that and celebrate that. That's outstanding. Well, and I think the part that's, um, that I always try to bring forward for families, um, that's sort of secreted in your title, the first 40 days is something that my um, my gay Chinese Tai Chi teacher <laughs> says. We we talk about my work, and and he says, "Oh, you know, everybody knows that this expression in Asia, which is forty days for forty years, mm-hmm. that the way that a mother is supported in her first forty days." is going to show up 40 years later in her health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, we, women have to then be grandparents, right? We, we, have to, <laughs> we have to sustain the family for many, many, many years to come. It's not just squirt a baby out and get on with life. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I think that, um, and we don't acknowledge that in the West, Yes. And I think it's why we see so much breakdown in, in physical and emotional health and relationships in the West and relationships. You know, it's, that was one of the things from the book that really stood out to me was 
that in Suyuse, I don't know if I have the right accent, but in that practice, traditionally, they talk about it's not just a time of recovery, but of actually establishing yourself as more beautiful, more radiant, more enlivened than ever before. Mm -hmm. Like traditionally, they saw postpartum as one of three major junctures in a woman's life. So puberty, postpartum, and menopause, where a huge shift was occurring that when done wisely with proper care is super empowering. And Mm -hmm. we heard that a lot, um, that, you know, what you do now during these 40 days will show up for the four decades or so to come. So a, a, a good first 40 days, really well taken care of, keeping warm, keeping excess wind and chill out of the body will reflect in healthier reproductive state and a better menopause and conversely the opposite. So exactly, I found mm-hmm. that in all my sort of research and in Ayurveda, they would say 42 days for the next 42 years. It's pretty consistent worldwide. So mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, you know, and I remember, you know, with, um, you know, my midwife is this, um, she's Sikh and she does, you know, she's a home birth midwife. But, um, you know, they say, you know what, give yourself your body two years if you're thinking about the second child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even with the Chinese culture, it's the same. You know, my aunt would often say, you know, how do you fill the baby room? Because it's the baby room that left and there's an empty space there. Mm -hmm. So you visualize that. It's like, wow, if you visualize it was taken up by, you know, the baby and, you know, sent out and all that and the baby just left there's a baby room there that's empty now how do we like what now you get the power the choice to say this is what i want to fill it back with mm-hmm. you know then it's like oh, okay now you might see it differently mm-hmm. and if you're thinking about a second or third child how do you want to replenish your body even better than before mm-hmm. right i love that image yeah, do you want to throw another baby into an empty room? <laughs> right. There's, well, yes. Or do you want to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap up on that visualization and that final thought. So thank you so much again for being on our program. Thank you so much to our sponsors. We now have a Patreon page. Anyone who's interested in sponsoring us, please do. And listeners, Esther and I have been doing this for the better part of a year. We don't actually know who you are, so we set up a newsletter sign-up that's on our website. So if you go to the fourthtrimesterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter, we will have a way to share our new content with you and our thoughts with you, and we would really value that. Um, And we think you would like it too, so please go ahead and do that. So thank you so much again, ladies. We really enjoyed this, and we learned a lot from you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Bye for now. Hello again. Bicycle man, I know you're doing all that you can. I wrote the song, simple and true. I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you. You got your wheels, you got your gears. You ride around town with 
out in fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake Song, I sing a song for you. 